Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights Podcast. This is David Bonson, the Managing Partner and Chief Investment Officer at the Bonson Group. And I believe by the time you're listening to this Advice and Insights Podcast, it will be the halfway point of 2018. We'll uh, finish up on Friday, June 29th is the last market day of the second quarter. And with that, the end of our uh, halfway point. And I make the comment in, in my written commentary this week, which is always found at DividendCafe.com, that so often people say uh, as sort of a cliche, like, oh boy, can you believe it's already halfway through the year? And and there's this kind of permanent reference to time going so quickly, and I suppose that's probably true most of the time that it, it we say all that because that's usually the way we feel, or that's the way it kind of went. And and I know like there's plenty of times, years, moments. I do sort of feel that way, like about what age my kids are. I can't believe how quickly it's gone. That type of stuff. But I don't feel like 2018 is uh has just flown by. And I've actually felt that way in certain years where you're kind of so much, I don't know, different circumstances where you you um, kind of wake up and it's Halloween or something after a new year. And in this particular case, um, I think it's been a, a wonderful year in a lot of ways. And, and yet I, I don't feel like the year uh, is speeding by. I mean, we're six months in and it feels like six months. Maybe, maybe it feels like longer. And, and, and there could be some sense in which markets have something to do with that. It, it, you know, any of us who lived through 2008 <clears throat> lived through something that was actually bad. This has not been a bad year whatsoever. It's kind of basically about flat on the year, a real big January and a real bad February, and then kind of some just back and forth and back and forth, but break evenness in the market since then. And and so if up 1% or down 1% or flat ever becomes the new uh, code for bad news, we got a real problem relative to what actual real bad news is capable and uh, historically demonstrably likely to look like. But the reason I want to talk in this week's Advice and Insights, as the title indicated about trade and tariffs at this halfway point, is because that is the thing that needs to be talked about, that for people who want to know why isn't the why aren't risk assets priced higher than they are? Why is my portfolio uh, kind of flattish when the you know you would think with this type of economic strength we may get a four percent type GDP print for this quarter? You have unemployment at an incredibly low three point eight percent. You have record level of corporate profits and corporate profits growth year over year. So what is the reason that markets are sort of running in place? And my argument is that there isn't an explanation other than the added level of volatility and uncertainty that has been introduced to the investment landscape by this trade war talk and in some cases not talk, but actual implementation of tariffs. And in most of those cases, tariffs that have then begat more tariffs, retaliatory you know, measures. So I am um, convinced 
that we uh, right now are being held in place by the tariff issue, and I use the expression in the in the uh, dividend cafe: one T giveth, and the other T taketh away, meaning that the the tax reform has lived up to expectations, has added more cash into company balance sheets, has uh, improved the employment and labor markets, has led to higher wages, has led to bonuses, has led to investor outcomes via stock buybacks and dividends, um, has led to creative destruction via M&A, mergers and acquisitions and the like, and it's led to business investment and will continue leading to business investment and capital expenditures. And so you see all those positive things I just got done kind of listing off, and yet this kind of muted response in markets, and that's where I think the other T is taking away, and that is the, uh, the trade side of the equation. Things like... Um, threatening the European Union with a 25% tariff on cars that they send into our country. Um, there isn't a market, a demand, an appetite for American cars in Europe for the most part. And uh, there is a massive demand for a lot of European cars, mostly German, here in the United States. And so I think that the very, uh, there's not any policy teeth to it at this time. But the markets have to kind of respond to the threat of a 25% tariff. It represents, uh, some studies indicate, a million less cars could be sold. That has a big impact on jobs, has a big impact on consumer spending. And so uh, we would think that a lot of this just has to do with renegotiating some of the genuinely unattractive deals that may exist with China uh, but when they see the when the market sees the president take on Canada, obviously one of our strongest allies, a country who has a trade we have a trade surplus with that we actually uh, sell more to them than we buy from them, and yet we are still threat- imposing steel and aluminum tariffs on them and threatening them with other tariffs. And so those things uh, make the market have to pause and wonder how, how this is really going to play out. So a lot of what happened this week was that uh, we kind of entered the week with chatter and reports and media stories that um, the next step in the Trump administration's kind of efforts to, to you know smack around China a little bit were to impose investment restrictions. Um, And they had been talking about potentially doing that actually at the State Department level on a national security basis, which would have undermined some of the relationship. It would have uh, forced more companies underground. I don't know. There's a lot of things that could have happened out of it. Very bureaucratic, very burdensome. And, And by Wednesday, we got the report that they were instead talking about simply using uh, CFIUS, which stands for the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, and it's a byproduct uh, of the the Treasury Department, not the State Department. So you're not dealing with that whole extra-level bureaucracy, national security, uh, those things. This could theoretically turn out to be something that's amicable for China. Now, I would imagine they'll push back a little. We'll see. 
Um, but my point being, the markets bounced all around on rumors that it was going to be a certain way, and then it bounced back. Rumors that turned out it was this way, but then it sold off again, saying, you know what, that's still kind of you know contractionary. So I, I believe it's very important for investors to understand ideologically. And a lot of times people say, "Why? Who's? what's the matter if you have the right ideology, the right view of things, the view of ideas, uh, a sort of worldview, if you will, around uh, the principles by which you might you know, do a certain thing? Why does ideology matter when it comes to this? Well, here's the thing. Uh, I believe that as – let's see here. I have a report somewhere. I think there's a, a certain impact that these things will have economically, but I think that the far bigger issue is going to the future. What will it do to constrain growth? What does it do to the psyche of, of economic activity? And that my ideological view, backed by economic fundamentals, is that more trade is always better than less trade. Now, that presupposes that the trade is voluntary exchange. That presupposes that the people engaged in the trade want to be engaged in the trade. Um, to the extent that voluntary economic actors are voluntarily exchanging with one another, there is no scenario by which we could see that being bad for the economy um, because we believe that people know what they need more than someone else does. And, and that takes on, obviously, a lot of shapes and sizes in a complex economy. And then it also uh, forces this whole concept of comparative advantage. Because to the extent people are trading with one another, it behooves you to give up money to buy from someone else what they can do better than you or what they can do better for you at a lower price or what they can just plain do better at a, what they can just plain do at a lower price. When you have the combination of both things, it's the best. So I have this pro-trade view because of that, those two basic principles that comparative advantage is a good thing in understanding the way the trade dynamic is supposed to work. But then I also believe that, in theory, very smart, sophisticated, self-interested economic actors um, should uh, have confidence that uh, if they're participating in a transaction, it's for the best. It's a good. It's a good thing to be doing. I don't think people are now. Not every trade they do is going to end up being productive. But I have more confidence in them to make that decision and bear with the consequences of their mistakes than I do a disinterested third party. So. What does this mean in terms of the situation with China? You know, my objective, and I think a lot of pro-market, pro-trade people would say we just want more trade. And the Trump administration is saying we just want fair deals. And then there are some more hyper-protectionists that just don't want those things happening with China. If something needs to be done economically, do it in the United States. And and they're, they're not too worried about the law of comparative advantage there. I get it. Disagree, but I understand. The markets are not trying to form an ideological opinion. The markets are trying to figure out what is going to be. What will the consequences be of what gets enacted? Um, and I think that it's a reasonable question, but I obviously have my own opinions having worked through it. Um, my views of trade are very much uh, a part of what, what, what I believe about markets overall. I think that they're integral to the cause of, to freedom and and. Free markets, and yet um, I'm not totally sure 
that everybody sees it that way, and even people that ne- that have some of the right premises about markets. In this case with China, it gets complicated because there are issues related to uh, technological infringement, and I'm of the opinion those things can be dealt with differently than with tariffs. But what this uh, CFIUS deal does by having that committee become the interagency committee that will review foreign investments and have that particularly um, applicable to what happens or doesn't happen with investment into China, um, I, I think it will end up being much more efficient and less bureaucratic, and I would see that as a good thing. If it enables more transactions that voluntary economic actors want to uh, transact in, then I think that's a good thing. Um but I do not know that the with all said and done about CFIUS and about the, you know this issue we're talking about, I I'm not convinced that we've solved the rest of the issues we we need to resolve about this subject. Um, I think you can have a less bureaucratic process, but we still seem to have uh, kind of uncertainty around. Um, whether I think that there's voices in administration, Wilbur Ross, Commerce Secretary, Pete Navarro, Trade Advisor, the President, who seem very willing to say that they're content to go with less trade. Where I think there's other names, Larry Kudlow, National Economic Council Director, Secretary Mnuchin, um, that are of the mindset that they're willing to kind of use trade tariffs in a context of uh, uh, bargaining and maybe even leverage. Um, but they would still agree that ultimately more trade ends up being better for the cause of free markets and prosperity than less trade. Um, so all that to say, tax reform did this incredible good in the economy, um, and, and the threat of less trade than there normally would be is, is having an effect on some of that. So we will continue to follow um, how the courts rule on different aspects of this stuff or, and, and also just how the White House rules uh, administratively. But as far as the direction of the market in a very trade-inhibited environment, um, we would expect you know, continued volatility. So uh, I think I need to kind of leave it there. been rambling on a little bit. I think you get the idea. Um, we distinguish between Canada, Mexico, European Union, China. More or less in all cases, we want to see more trade. And trade uh, is threatening to have to subside to one degree or another with all of them. We certainly understand the need to negotiate best agreements possible. But we just point out that to the extent countries, or excuse me, companies are voluntarily trading with one another, then we assume that voluntary exchange is leading to a transaction that is healthy. So if our advice and insights this week is for the pursuit of healthy markets, uh, we would caution everyone that capital markets become less unhealthy when you're talking about a trade war. It's really that simple. So I I will ask all of you to please check out DividendCafe.com this week. Uh, We cover a lot more than just trade there, cover a lot of the ABCs of what we believe about investing. And I would ask you to also um, check out uh, the Divin Cafe YouTube if you like the kind of video format. 
But as far as this advice and insights, uh, we got some special guests coming up in future weeks. Uh, please subscribe, review us, share it, do all that stuff I talk about all the time. And enjoy your weekend. Thank you for listening to the Advice and Insights podcast. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.